In the name of Jesus and by the authority of Jesus, we release victory in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. And thank you, worship team, for always catching my curves. I'm a curvy guy anyway. Steve, stop laughing. It wasn't that funny. Just kidding. A couple things I need to announce, okay? We are going to build a church building in Pakistan, and we need $6,000 to do that. So if you want to help us raise those funds, you could grab an envelope next to the giving box in the back and write missions on it, put $6,000 in it, drop it in. You could, uh, you could text a dollar amount to, uh, in the word missions to 84321. 84321, and if you text that, if you've never done it before, it'll, you get to pick the church and all these kind of things. Ordinary faith is the church name. Um, also, if this is your first Sunday with us, 307-224-4404, is that right, Brother Steve? Can you get back to that initial slide where, actually, I think I can do it. I will try. Let's see how, let's see how tech savvy I am. There it is, 224-4404. Probably start playing music in a minute or something. That'll be awesome. See if you want to get me back to my first slide. If you'll just text the word welcome to that, that'd be great. It's 307-224-4404 if it's your first Sunday, so you can get on the loop of what's happening at Ordinary Faith. One, one more. Kids Church. So Carrie and Christy have been making videos and posting those on the Ordinary Faith Kids Church group. Is that right? Did I get that right? Okay. So if you guys would like to do some stuff, some discipleship things with your kids, your grandkids, the neighbor's kids, that would be discipleship. That would be pretty cool. Then you just hop in on, uh, on that Ordinary Faith Kids Church site. All right. We are going to jump into the Word of God today. We are talking in a, we're in a series called Shift, where we're talking about shifting our thinking. And in this series, we're talking about shifting our thinking from being an earner to being an heir. Now, here's the question I'm going to ask, and I need to know if you're here. So I expect some response. If I don't get any response, I will keep asking until I get the response I want, because that's what good leaders do. You're going to have to respond better than that, or this sermon's going to go a while. I'm just saying. All right, okay. Anybody else in this room besides me a hot mess? Anybody hot messes in this room? Yeah, all right, good deal. That's good. That is right. So today we're talking about this idea that your failures are factored into God's plan. That he knows what he's going to do. He knows about you. And what the one thing, if you don't get anything else out of what I talk about today, just remember this. What God has done is more important than what you have done or what you will ever do. What God has done is more important than what you have done and what you'll ever do. If you don't listen, if you check out right now, zone into Facebook, at least remember that I said that, okay? So, the Bible tells us this in Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Psalm 14, 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone's truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. All of us start out our lives as a, as a hot mess, as some kind of... Just something that needs, needs God to show up in. And last Sunday, as we dove into the prodigal son story of Luke 15, we looked at how mankind as a whole had really insulted God and driven God away. And how even at that, God patiently waited for the prodigal to come home. And God waits for you too. But today we're going to look at a very aggressive God. A God who, who doesn't just wait for you to come home, but a God who, who comes after people and loves 
people. Now let me tell you something I thank God for. I am a hot mess, still am, in a lot of ways. Just ask my wife. <clears throat> I make messes too, but that's another story. I am so glad that it is not my behavior that determines my redemption. It's not what I do that gets God to like me. And so I'm thankful that even though I can't earn anything, I couldn't earn my way out of a paper bag, my God operates in a, in a new system that he built called a system of grace. And he gives me what I could never earn. So today we are going to look at a story out of the prophets. We're going to look at a guy named Hosea. And as we get into this story, we're going to see a picture of God that I hope challenges all of your assumptions about you and especially about God. Okay? So Hosea chapter 3 is where we're going to start. So let me tell you a little bit of a Bible story. I love the prophets, man. I love the prophets because so many of the prophets were a lot like Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples were down-home country boys for the most part, you know? They were fishermen and, and fishermen and some oh, tax collectors. <laughs> She's up here. She's my cheat sheet, so whatever it is, you know? They were normal guys. And a lot of the prophets were as well. In fact, my favorite prophet was Amos because Amos was a persimmon picker. <laughs> It don't get more country than that. That's, my, that's Prophet Amos, the persimmon picker over there. But today we're talking about a guy named Hosea. And when I read about Hosea's story, I just see this guy who's a, a normal, ordinary guy. And then God shows up. Of course, he's a prophet. He's used to, he's used to hanging out with God. And God shows up and he, he wants him to do something that sounds ridiculous. And I don't know why God is trying to deal with me on the issue of the ridiculous right now. It'll surely become a sermon one day. But you see, God's word is awesome. God's word, we, we learn from other prophets, it never returns void. It, it accomplishes what it's going to do. But let me tell you something awesome about God. God never just leaves things just at his word. God never just says, God never just says I said so, do it. I mean, he could say that. He's God. He could say, I said so, pop. Do it, if he wanted to. And a lot of people think he does. But I'm going to show you today that that's not who he is. That's not how he acts toward his people. But God chooses rather than just say do it. God shows up and says, here, I'm going to demonstrate for you my word. I'm not just going to tell you what's important. I'm going to show you why it's important. I'm going to demonstrate it. So God shows up in Hosea's life. And, and he has Hosea go out and do this crazy, ridiculous thing. He, has, he tells him, he says, I want you to go in Hosea chapter 1, which I'm not going to read. I'm just going to jump in at verse chapter 3 in a minute. But he tells him, I want you to go out, and I want you to marry a prostitute. I want you to marry the party girl. I want you to marry the girl who is a hot mess. I want you to marry her. And through that marriage, I'm going to demonstrate how much I love the nation of Israel. You read the story of Hosea in Hosea chapter 1, you find out he does marry Gomer. They have at least two children, and those two children that are recorded in the text were probably not Hosea's kids. And God tells us that he wants them to name those kids. And so, names the girl, not loved. 
names the boy, not a people. But I'm going to change that into something that might make more sense to you. Names the boy, all alone. Now, we read these stories like this about God. And if your lens of God already is that he is not good, then you immediately put on there that God is judging people and that he's harsh and that he's just trying to get you. But that's not what God's doing at all. God isn't judging through saying she's not loved and he's all alone. God is identifying the reality that people are starting from. He's coming at the nation of Israel and he says, this is, this is who you are right now. You, and this is how you feel. You feel not loved. You feel like your God doesn't care about you. You feel like all these idols that you worship, all these things that you worship, they love you more. You, you feel like you're not a people. You feel like God's abandoned you. You see, when you look at the text in those terms, now it, it, it wraps around you because some of you in this room are feeling that way. You're feeling like, God, I don't think God really cares about me. I don't feel like I really have a place to belong. I don't feel like I'm connected with anyone. These are lies of the enemy. They're assaults on every person to some degree or another. And so in this story, God tells Hosea, I want you to name your daughter not loved because in chapter 2, I'm going to change her name from not love to I love you. And I want you to name your son not a people or all alone because I want to come to you in chapter 2 and I want, to, I want to rename your son my son, my child. You see, I don't know what you think about God, but he's probably not what you think he is. He's a God not out to get you but a God out to redeem you, to help you, to restore you. So we come to Hosea's story, and we find this amazing imagery. And we haven't even got to the sermon part yet. We haven't got, by the way, did I tell you who he married? Gomer. When you hear the name Gomer, you're probably thinking, she's hot. Who are you dating? I'm dating Gomer. Oh, I bet she's attractive. <laughs> How many teeth does she have? If your name is Gomer, I'm sorry for a whole lot of reasons. He marries Gomer, and Gomer is a girl who is from the party, man. She's from that life, she's that girl. I don't think you could paint a worse picture of her because he marries her, makes her his wife, they have children, and then she splits. She decides that the party is better than Hosea, that she wants more party and less husband. And so she leaves all of that, goes back to the party, and we're going to find out where that gets her in just a minute. But we'll, we'll, we'll jump into Hosea 3.1. The Lord said to me, Hosea has split by this time. She's been gone a while. I mean, Gomer. Thanks, hon. She's like notes when you don't have any. Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So, I bought her back 
I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you'll not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. This shows, the point of this, this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, this is the verse we needed to get to, but afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord, their God, and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. They will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. I read the story of Gomer, and, and writing this sermon was something else for me. And, and two questions popped to mind as I was working through this material and thinking through this story that is really graphic, I know, but also really humbling. The first question I, I ask is, how low, I wonder how low you would have to go and God still lift you up. I mean, how low could you go? Like the Christian limbo, how low can you go? Because when I read the Bible, man, it is filled with stories of people who are a wreck. Liars, cowards, thieves, murderers, jerks. The Bible's filled with these people that are just all kinds of a mess. And somehow God shows up in their life. God encounters them. They encounter God. And that encounter is so significant that from that point on, they not only live for God, they live their life at the, the command of God, willing to do anything that God wants them to do. And so I asked myself, I was reading this, I wonder how, how low you would have to go. Because I'm telling you, with my own eyes, I have seen God rescue Sunday school kids who became drug dealers, and then God showed up and saved them, restored them, and they became servants of God Most High. I've seen God show up for that girl who was that girl like Gomer, total wreck, a total mess, and then life get totally flipped around. I don't know how low you can go, but if you're here this morning and you're tuning in online, I'm looking at you guys online, I suspect that it's not so low that God can't lift you up. I don't know how low you can go. I honest, I honest do not know how low you can go because I have yet to meet the person that God was unwilling to save. I don't know how low you can go. And I don't know how far you can go either. So, let me tell you a little bit about me. I'm Michael. There's another pastor, Michael, here. We like to keep it simple. We talked to Steve about changing his name, but he said he liked Steve. So, so we said, Steve, and we left it at that. Every time I hear the word, I think of that monkey on Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Steve. Yes, I'm just messing around. I'm sorry. I surrendered, I, I grew up in a different time than most, man. I, I was a kid in the 70s, okay, the 70s, stagflation, no one owned a new car then, everybody drove junk, it was a different time. I was a teenager in the 80s, okay, 
I grew up in a, in a very conservative, fundamental Baptist church. Things were different then. People looked at church then. They went to church differently then. It was a different time, okay? At the age of 13, at a youth camp, I surrendered to God to preach the gospel. My first sermon I actually preached at eight years of age in a junior church in Springfield, Missouri, and I preached on hell, and I still feel sorry for that Sunday school leader to this day. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he learned a valuable lesson that day. (laughs) My dad was even upset with me over that, but I was eight years old. What did I know? There wasn't a lot of love at eight years of age. (laughs) Anyway, I surrendered at 13, I committed my life to the Lord. I started getting into the Word, and I I did everything I knew to do at that age to get close to God. At the age of 16, I remember at some point, I don't remember exactly when I said it, but I remember saying this to God. And this was the beginning of my decline. I said, God, I have been really good, and I'd like to have a little fun. So you can imagine how things went from there. Let me tell you something about the goodness of God that I discovered in the worst period of my faith. I discovered that God was good. The greatest gift of my life is my wife, Christy. And God gave her to me when the last thing I cared about was what God thought. That's how good God is. So, From about 16 to 23, I did, as one of my favorite deacons used to say, I did everything I thought I was big enough to do. And you can imagine how things turned out. By the time I was 23, I was kind of a mess. Our marriage, if it hadn't been for my wife, we we would not have been married at that time. But luckily, she went to a pastor who told her, stay. And for some reason, she did. I was broke. We were spending more than we made every month. I was a wreck. And then one night, I don't remember exactly when. I know it was a Thursday night. It's all I know. I think it was about a year after Cody was born. God showed up. I had tried to get my life right. I don't know how many times. I had tried to get going to church, to to start reading my Bible, to... can't tell you how many times I tried and I could not get it and then one night Papa showed up and he reminded me that I had surrendered to do something and he said and called me and reaffirmed that I should do it and that moment my life turned around I don't know how far you can get from God but I'm pretty sure it's farther than you are right now. I'm pretty sure of that. Because I've yet to meet the person that was so far that God wouldn't go even farther to embrace them. And I want you to know if you're here this morning, if you're listening online, welcome to an amazing act of grace that you get a minute to consider that there is a Father in God who comes after us that you can't outrun, you can't get under, you can't get away from because he loves you. As David said, in the depths of the grave, you are there.
So as I think about these things about God and how far and how low, I thank Him for all the things that I receive that I could never earn. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't, man. Did I ever kill anybody? I don't know. I don't know how that got to be the standard about whether or not you get into heaven or not. I ask people, I have, over the years, I ask people, do you know if you're going to heaven? They go, well, I never killed anybody. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess you're probably in. Okay. <laughs> this isn't awkward for anyone. <sighs> I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve God's attention. I don't deserve God's care. I don't deserve love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control. I don't deserve the fruits of the Spirit. I don't deserve this church family. I don't deserve to, get to do what I get to do at this church. I don't deserve any of it. All of it is an act of God's impossible, incredible mercy and grace. And I want you to know that you may be sitting there and you, you may have faith issues because of what you've done or where you've been or how you've failed. I've had people say to me over the years, yeah, I tried that. Yeah. And I have no doubt that you tried church or you tried a Bible study or you tried reading the Bible or you tried something else. But what I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's a God who all of that's actually about. And he didn't let go. He will stalk you. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. It was weird. Back to Hosea. You see, from the beginning, what God was saying through his, Hosea was, hey, I want you to demonstrate me. I want you to demonstrate what I'm like. This was the, the, the story. And so in Hosea 3, we see God telling Hosea to go and get his wife. And so let's climb into that story a minute. Here's Hosea, a brokenhearted husband, going to get the heartbreaker. Going to get the, the party girl, the one who walked out on him and the kids. This is Hosea walking to where she is. Wouldn't that have been a fun journey? You ever had that, that discussion, a drive over to deal with a conflict, or trying to get to the person that you have a broken relationship with, and all the thoughts that go through your mind? I know what would be going through my mind. First of all, I'd be yelling at God, you did this to me. You made me do this. Then I'd be mad at her. You left us. I can hear all the accusation and all these kind of things in my head if I were to, to walk out this story. What I want you to learn from Hosea's actions is one, I want you to learn about God from what Hosea did, and I want you to learn about the real business of forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness that people talk about today is cheap. You ever had somebody tell you, well, just forgive them. Just forgive. And if I've ever done that in a sermon, I'm totally sorry. I may have. Forgiveness is something that you have to work through. You, you can't just say, okay, they hurt my feelings, they, they stole my car, they broke into my house, they hurt someone in my family, and oh, so I'll just forget and forget and move on. You can't do that. That's not even forgiveness. That's not even forgiveness. Forgiveness is... I was hurt. It really hurt. It was wrong. I think it was wrong. This is why I think it was wrong. It's working through the pain and the hurts of what happened. You can't get to forgiveness without dealing with the offense. 
And if you think you have worked through forgiveness in your life and you never dealt with the offense, all you did really was bury a zombie of an idea that's going to crawl out of the ground one day and eat your thoughts. And you're like, he watches zombie movies. Yes. George Romero was a theologian of sorts. He's either been in church or gone to Walmart, but somehow he knew something. <laughs> That's funnier than I thought it would be. <laughs> anyway. So here's Hosea going to Gomer, who's broken his heart and their family, and he's working through his forgiveness. Why do I point this out? Because God had to work through our offenses. I want you to think about this. Think about what it took for God. If you were here last Sunday, we talked about Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son and the father, but we focused mainly on the father and what the father endured, the abuses that the father withstood in order to wait for that son to come home and rejoice in that son's return. I want you to think of ourselves in the place of Gomer here. Running away from God, that's the story he's demonstrating. The nation of Israel turning to not God, idols, money, other people, sexual relationships, turning to all those things and away from God. And here's God working through the forgiveness part of this. Forgiveness is hard work. And let me help you a little bit with forgiveness. What will help you with forgiveness is to realize that someone has to pay the price to forgive. And I got news for you. This is going to be the hard part. This, you may not accept this, so just bake on it, put it in your phone, think on it for later. The person who has to pay for forgiveness is not you. You have to work through the offense. You have to deal with the pain. You have to deal with the hurt. But if you are the kind of person who goes through life carrying a list of all the people that owe you an apology, you're going to be a bitter, angry person. You are going to have a hard time worshiping. You are not going to be able to connect with God well because you can't be forgiving. But there's the other person, too, that's the martyr. They go through life just like, okay, well, it happened to me. I'll just take it on. I'll be the one that says I, that I let it go and I forgive them. That's being a martyr, and that doesn't help either. It puts you in the place of Jesus, and you stink as Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price to forgive. If you actually want to get to a place of forgiveness in your life, you have to allow the offense to be placed on the sacrifice of Christ. It has to go there. Yeah, you have to deal with your pain, you have to deal with your sorrow, but you have to turn to him and let God deal with the injustice through the perfect justice of Calvary. Does that make sense? God paid for the right, the privilege, the honor to forgive. And so forgiveness is real business and God paid the price to do that. And so it is the goodness of God that is our foundation for everything. God is good. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 2. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, do you, do you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? 
There is, there is no reason in this story that God would say, Hosea, I want you to go and rescue Gomer from the fruit of her own choices. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for God to send his son to earth to die for you and me. There is no real reason for that aside from the love of God and the goodness of God. That demonic thinking that in the back of our mind says, well, yeah, but I kind of deserved it. That's bull. And you can finish that if you want to, but we're in church. Don't, okay? That's not true. God had to work through all of this. God forgave all of this, not just on a whim, not just casually, but through the price of his son. And the fact that we are here today together to even consider these things, the fact that you're online with us to consider these things is proof of God's goodness and mercy toward us. This story of Hosea is a powerful story. The Bible says in Hosea 6.1, and this, I think, even though it's not the ending of the book of Hosea, it is a great place to capture the culmination of the story between Hosea and Gomer and between God and Israel. Because Hosea writes in Isaiah 6.1, he says, Come, let's return to the Lord. Now hear this. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. I want you to pause right there. Because I know what that mad at God lens does to that text. That belief that somehow God is out to get you. You look at that and go, well, yeah, but God's the one who tore us up. And God's the one who broke us. If you had a gash in your arm, you're out cutting wood, your chainsaw gets away from you. You were just doing that McCullough thing. Wah, 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 wah. Cut your arm. You go to the hospital. What's the first thing they do to that wound? They open her up and clean that thing out, and you holler. Well, they might have medication, but my dad said, no painkillers. Suffer, son, like I want you to. No, that's not what he said. (laughs) If God tears us apart, it's to clean us out. If God breaks us apart, it's to put us back together. You've got to remember that. You may be going through a breaking season right now, and you've got to understand it's not God against you, it's God for you. He's injured us, now he'll bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Presence. That we may live in his presence. It's always about presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the coming of rains in the early spring. I wish wish the average believer's today theology was as good as Old Testament theology. Because here, even in the Old Testament, before New Covenant, the word of God through Hosea is, you press in, God will respond. And there are Christians walking around today thinking that God's ignoring them. Thinking that God's not listening to them. When he's a God who does respond, he's a God who presses in. And so where I want to go with this idea today is I want to think about how you and how I can come back to the Lord. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, it's all right, I'm a Christian. I don't need to come back to the Lord. I'll deal with you in a minute. (laughs) 
I guess my first priority is those of you who are really struggling with whether or not God's real, God cares, God's working. How can I know these things, Michael? The Bible teaches us that when we return to the Lord, that he'll heal us. That we, we wait for him and, and he comes to us. There's a God who is not just out there on the edges, but a, a God is pursuing you. A God who's after you. You see, uh, we, the average person today, man, they, we think we can like get enough of God. Like you come to church on Sunday, like, all right, I'll go to church. An hour, hour, five minutes, I'm out. But an hour, and, um, and that'll do me. That's all the Jesus I need, man. That's all the God I need. That's all the religion I need. That's all the connection I need. There you go. I got that checked off. I'm good. And then you'll leave here and you'll go home and, and you won't be able to get enough, I don't know, Netflix, Facebook. <sighs> I made that term up. Catcher, all of it, you know. Um, money, sex, alcohol. You see, those are the things people pursue and they just keep packing into their life and packing it in. And they're like, I can never get enough of this stuff. But I can get enough Jesus. <laughs> I can can get enough of that and so here's what i want to say to you you're wrong i'm not trying to be insulting i'm not trying to attack you i'm not trying to tear down your worldview that's not my job here's my job my job is to connect you with the the god of the universe with the king of kings and the lord of lords jesus christ with the spirit of god that walks this room right now my job is to connect you with that i let him do all the mind changing and heart changing that's his job but right now, we can connect, and we can turn, and we can realize that, yes, there are a lot of things in this world that I worship, idols that I put on pedestals and things that I go after. And you have yet to discover a God who loves you and can fill your life to the brim and overflowing with acceptance, with hope, with joy, with restoration, with forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah, there are a lot of people in our lives that we've hurt. There's also that nagging sensation of shame and guilt that we can't get away from. And that's what God addresses. That's the place where God meets us. That's what forgiveness fixes. And all it takes to do that, because you see, God has done all of these things God has paid the price for all these things. God's the one who made the journey. All of this is about what God has done. But there's a response to all of that that moves you into receiving it, that moves you into a relationship and a connection with the God of gods and the King of kings. What is that? The Bible calls it this thing called repentance. And in repentance, it's when we, we have a point where we change our mind. Change your mind about what? Change your mind about being your own God. You see, that's the, that's the human condition. Ever since Adam, every human being that's been born has been determined to be their own God. I'll make the decisions. I'll do everything I want to do. It's my life. I'll make the choices. I'll be a self-made moron. I mean, man. <laughs> when we let go of our apparent and obvious inability to be our own God. 
and receive a God who is actually qualified for the task. We move from a place of shame and guilt to a place of forgiveness. A place where the hot mess meets a Messiah and changes everything about our story. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we may be made right with God through Christ. You see, God, what God has done is more important than what you have done. It's more important than your failures. It's more significant than your sins. He can overcome all of that through His grace and through His mercy. And you can't earn any of that. But you can enter into that by simply changing your mind about who's God in your life. As long as you are God, you'll make your own decisions, do what you want to do, and keep winding up in your messes. But when you enthrone Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you'll do what He wants you to do, and you'll follow Him, and He'll be the one who's the God of your life. That's how this works. The idea that you pray a prayer, and then you just go out and live any way you want, and you go right back to Gomer's party, that's not how this works. God didn't save you so your life would stink. He saved you so that your life could be exceeding, could be abundant could be overwhelming. And so it takes a move. And so today is a good day to come home. So I don't know where you're at, and I've got I've to get done here by two. When G- <laughs> Thanks, Miss Sally. It'll be me, me and Miss Sally until three. <laughs> but at 11.06, I'm losing people. No, I'm just kidding. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't hang out with the theologians. He didn't hang out with the rich, the elite. He didn't spend his days lounging in the palaces of kings and queens. He found a rough as a cob fisherman named Peter. Two honorary brothers, James and John. And he spent his days with them. Three and a half years of his ministry with normal, ordinary guys. Guys that were so dumb that when the council of the, at the Sanhedrin saw them in person, they said, these are unlearned and ignorant men. But we can tell they've been with Jesus. Boy, that's the kind of stuff that needs to be said about people. Why am I telling you that? I don't care what your mess is. Jesus is good hanging out with you. He's good coming to where you are. You don't have to. In fact, I recommend stop trying to change before you come to Jesus. Let Jesus show up and let him do whatever changes need to be made. It'd probably be a great idea if Jesus showed up in life and made people less religious and more God-oriented, more sacrificial. So I'm just saying to you, if you're in a place where you don't know what to do about God, he's here for you today. I'm challenging you to change your mind about him and put him on the throne of your life. Before I get done, though, I want to talk to the religious folks who I mentioned earlier in the sermon. When God showed up for Hosea, even though these are not the exact words, he basically said, Hosea, I got a word for my people, and I want you to demonstrate it. You believers in the house, I love the fact you've got to always remember that salvation is for every day, not just your first day. Okay? 
And God can save you from your circumstances, but I want to ask you a question. What if what you're going through right now, the decision you're facing, whether it's great and good and you have all these opportunities, or whether it's horrible and bad and you have all these things restricting you, what if what you're going through right now is actually God demonstrating himself through your story? What if God has something to say to your neighbors, to your friends, to your co-workers, to your kids, to your grandkids? What if God has something to say through what you're going through? Would it help you to stop whining and complaining about it and start praising God through it? So Hosea was asked by God to do a very difficult thing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, which interestingly enough is right before 2 Corinthians 5.21, which we just read. God says, through Paul, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Today, worship team, if you want to go ahead and come forward. I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you if you're trying to make up your mind about God today, make it up. I am not dismissing or minimizing how challenging that can be. I'm just telling you, we have opened the doors on how amazing God is, how much he pursues us and loves us. So consider that and decide. But for you believers in the house, I want to remind you that what we go through right now, today and every day, is our chance to demonstrate God's story in your story. Father, I thank you for a chance to share your word and to talk about this incredible story of Hosea and Gomer. I thank you for this room and I thank you for all those who've endured whatever challenges they had to to be here and to stay here today. Lord, I pray for any life that has yet to make that decision, who hasn't come home yet, I pray that they would come home. And I pray, Lord, for every believer in this room I pray that you would end the fear that's driving the Christian faith in America today and you would restore the hope for a future in which God is God and people are saved. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Steve. Would you stand with us, please?